Hello, good evening, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me tonight are Ricky and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hello, Steph. Evening, Steph. Indeed. Uh, But, you know, before we go any further, uh, it's vital that we remember whatever we discuss in the coming pod, whatever stories, incidents, controversies, and frustrations are all part of the game we love, football. And that this past week has seen the global political situation take a terrible turn with Russia's move into Ukraine, an awful scenario which has already disrupted the lives of millions and will sadly continue to do so. It is a privilege that we get to come onto this pod and cheer, pontificate and occasionally whinge about our beloved Tottenham Hotspur, but never has it been more important to remember that this is a game and that right now millions of innocent Ukrainians are in hell and a fair few Russian citizens are themselves appalled and disgusted by the actions of their leader. And by the way, please remember that this is not about every Russian. This is about the actions of a heinous dictator in Vladimir Putin. So please join us in wishing our Ukrainian brothers and sisters every good wish and tons of positive energy with the ever-living hopes that a peaceful resolution can be found immediately. Yeah, I just want to say we've got a couple of, um, or a handful of Ukrainian listeners and um, just want to say that, well, they're in our thoughts and uh, prayers and hope they're safe and well and that this is all over really soon. Yeah, and as you quite rightly said when we were discussing before we we came on to record it you know and to reiterate it's never been more important to remember that this is just a game Tottenham Hotspur football the football we love it is just a game and that the things we are going to discuss are actually pretty inconsequential when you compare them to these massive issues in life so that being said back to this week's pod and I'm going to tell you what we'll be discussing because we will be looking back at the trip to Turf Moor, which sadly saw a negative answer to the proverbial, but can they do it on a wet, windy night midweek up north, as we succumb to a late goal, losing 1-0. And then we'll also look back at our lunchtime date with Leeds at Elland Road yesterday. We will also take some time to scrutinise the current situation with Antonio Conte, who certainly seems to have been venting freeform post-match recently, and in doing so, has unleashed the trolls and doomsdayers to fill their boots with disaster talk regarding his tenure at Tottenham. We will attempt to pick our way through the truths versus the tattle as we look to offer the definitive take on Conti's current spurrage. But first of all, as usual, we start with our intro question. And this week, we're going to look south to our stomachs. And I'm going to ask you both, if you could only eat one country's cuisine for the rest of your life, which country would you choose, Ricky? Me? Um... Well, I think the clue's in the name, cuisine. It's going to be French, mate, for me. I'm not talking haute cuisine. I'm talking about everyday French cuisine. Uh, whenever I go there, you can never knock France for their um, food. It's in their DNA. It's, you know, ingrained in their culture. So I think that carries through to all kind of cafes, restaurants. And if I'm eating that every day, then it's the everyday food of even just going in the boulangerie. Bit of fromage, bit of du pain. And if I need something sweet, the patisserie always looks grand. Um, yep, yeah, that's for me. France all the way. A very smart choice because you leave yourself wide open, don't you? I mean, you've got casseroles, you've got, you know, finely cooked meat, you've got all sorts of stuff. Very, very that's, a, that's a solid, solid choice. Very clever, actually, that, Ricky. Very clever. Thank Milo, you. Milo, are you, are you up to that? That was I thought that was smart because he's left himself with a wide range of foods within the umbrella of, uh, of great preparation. Well, he was going to pick what I was going to pick for the same reason, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> really? Um, Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> join me. Join me in France. Come on. Yeah, no. I'd, I'd, 
quite happy, <laughs> quite happily munch cheese with you. That was incredibly <laughs> euphemistic. I'm sorry to say. I, I, okay, back to back back to cuisine. I mean, yeah, we could slip over the Alps and go for Italian food. There's plenty there to to uh, keep me uh, satisfied as well. India's got to be in consideration as again. You know, kind of rich and broad uh, cuisine. Lots of uh, lots of variation there. So let's go for India, but. France is the real choice. Indian, but France, but you don't want to do France because it's already been taken. You're not prepared to share. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, France is big enough for Ricky and I to um, both yes. cohabit and, uh, and monge. <laughs> we, can, we can both monge yeah. there without getting in each other's way. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah but uh, okay uh, so we'll, we'll note you both as french but but you know in the interests of uh diversity you're also going to say you would go indian if you had to right mm. yeah. okay very good i'm going to pick scottish no no i'm not that was a joke i'm not picking scottish cuisine at all <laughs> i would have to be mexican actually because i just i love mexican food albeit i have to say that Ricky, you have made the best choice because you've got the widest range because you're not nailed to any specific dish. You know, Mexican food does generally tend to work within very similar parameters, but my word, I love it. Are we including drink from the country as well? Because if, if we are, exactly. I'm, definitely, I'm definitely going France. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I'm think not drinking, I'm not drinking Indian wine. I don't care what anyone <laughs> says. <laughs> Yeah, and Mexican wine is uh, otherwise referred to as tequila, I think. But uh, anyway, I'm, uh, yeah, 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 no, good. We've established our favourite cuisines, and now we're going to look back at the week that was and have realised that uh, the main week that was revolves around Antonio Conti's uh, post-Burnley presser, and we're going to be talking about all that later. So uh, there was actually one other significant thing that happened this week uh, that Ricky reminded us all of and uh, Ricky why don't you uh, why don't you take that one away yes it was the um it was our very own old playmaker Christian Eriksen making a great return uh, for Brentford for the bees in their game at the weekend it was so great to see him back very heartwarming and it's magnificent as I'm sure we'd all agree that he's got a route back into football and yeah. I think he's amongst friends there with uh, quite a few Danish people at um, Brentford so I hope it goes well for him and we hope to see him have we got them at the have we got to play we've got to play them at their place haven't we so hopefully mm. um, the away fans that managed to get a ticket at Brentford will be able to give him a warm reception because it's a remarkable a remarkable return because it looked like normally players like that mm. don't have a way back so I'm so chuffed for him he looks suspiciously close to finding his passing range sooner than later. Let's hope he doesn't find it in time for us. He was pretty close to a couple of those trademark Ericsson passes in the last 20 minutes of that game. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, But yes, uh, 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 an unthinkable thing, actually, a year ago, wasn't it, really? Nobody it could have seen it coming. And so, so yes, uh, we, we will continue to watch with, with great interest and, and, great, and great hope. And it was interesting to note that actually the squad themselves said that they would be watching that game after mm. after the Leeds game. I mean, a few of our mm. players expressed that they were going to be like really, you know, hoping that he got back on the pitch. So, yeah. yeah. Back to speaking about exotic locations. As we were with our cuisine, we will now look at one of the most exotic parts of the United Kingdom as we look back at our midweek game in the holiday mecca that is Burnley, known for its sleeting rain, freezing cold... <laughs> And completely inhospitable atmosphere to away teams and supporters. Can you do it on a wet and windy night and rainy in Burnley? Is the phrase that he's oft banded about in Premier League chatter. We went up there full of confidence, having beaten Man City. But 
Dr. Tottenham was in the house, wasn't he? We didn't get the job done. Conti picked an unchanged side. Uh, Chaps, uh, do you think this was the right decision? I think it was an understandable decision at the time. I think if pre-kickoff, if you'd changed the side, I think probably our fans would have been moaning about that and saying, don't change a winning team. It was just a hiding to nothing, wasn't it? Whatever team he picked, right? I mean, as you rightly said, Milo, whinging if he does change, whinging if he doesn't. I mean, I think he's he's obviously looking, trying to get some consistency. And after a result against City, you you know, naturally you think I'm going to pick, pick the same team. I mean, the only thing maybe against that would be some of them did churn out some kilometres against Man City. Mm-hmm. So you might think maybe someone's tired. But I think... I don't think it's much of a discussion point, really, if he's picked the same team to play Burnley, really. And I know some people say, oh, it's a different type of game, but we don't seem to be doing much with changing teams anyway. I think it is a different type of game. Yeah, very, very different. Hmm. But we struggle to break down teams that are compact and you know, well-organised in defence, no matter who we pick. So I don't, I don't think there's a magical 11 we can put out there and then suddenly we, we bruise through that. And, you know, we had a few chances. Uh, we didn't create a lot, but we had a few chances. And at the end of the day, we lost the game because we lost concentration in defence. You know, so I think it's easy to see the same selection and a different a different result. Oh, I mean, this is this is absolutely the point. I mean, you know, our next jogger here is how do you think the game went? And so I'm going to ask myself, Steph, how do you think the game went? Well, uh, actually, Steph, I thought that uh, we, we overall were not nearly as bad as, as you know, was made out in the social media bleatings and, 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 and vomiting that happened afterwards. Uh, you know, I think for me, the biggest problem we had was one of confidence in the final third. There were several moments where we were getting the ball wide early and we just didn't seem to want to push that extra 10 yards to really, you know, ask the questions of, of, of those Burnley defenders on that because, the, you know, the weather was, was poor for all. It was as poor for them as it was for us. I was, I was disappointed we didn't force that situation, but I never felt we were especially uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is, is that we couldn't tempt them out. We couldn't tempt them onto us and... You know, the game we're going to go on and talk to later on, talk about later on, and, you know, the Man City game, there's space to attack, and we struggle when there isn't space to attack. Um, and I think, you know, we could be more dis- de- decisive in the final third, but I still think we'll struggle because, um, because they're so well organized. A criticism of us here, I think we probably underestimated them a bit. If you look at their kind of their home form, um, they only lost 1 0 to, uh, to Liverpool at home. They drew 1 1 with Man United. They drew 0 0 with Arsenal. They drew 0 0 with West Ham. They're no mugs. No, not at all. Absolutely not. Uh, they're a lot better than their league position suggests. I mean, actually, I thought that. I mean, everyone sort of proposed beforehand that it was going to be a flip round to the Man City game where they were going to, we were going to be taking on the pressure role like City mm-hmm. would. But I thought they had, they had some good spells as well. I yeah, thought, they did. I thought it switched for, and for no real, no real reason that it switched, but it seemed to be in spells as well. It wasn't end to end. It definitely wasn't end to end, but sometimes they'd have some quite good possession and then we'd have quite good possession, especially at the start of the second half. We definitely did. Mm. And it was an even game, really. And as you say, Steph, I mean, the, the, the result has coloured the reaction I think and it was just one moment from a set piece where we weren't quite strong enough I think well, no, yeah, and, and even that moment in and of itself I mean you know we always you know, ev- I mean this is the nature of football right and the nature of football analysis everyone wants to blame everyone wants to blame someone for a goal everyone oh I was weak defending this and that and the other at the end of the day for whatever reason and I, I, I have to wonder if the wind was a factor and it maybe held the ball up slightly mm-hmm. I'm not too sure but you know Romero basically got beaten by me it does happen 
He doesn't, doesn't have the right to win every single ball. Mm. And Ben Mee is no no mug. I mean, I actually thought personally that, you know, especially seeing some of the decisions you get given today, there could have been a question that he lent on Romero. But I'm, yeah, not, argue, I'm not complaining. I'm not, you know, there's a little bit of that. He, he got his arm over Romero's shoulder, didn't he? Did. he? And then, and then let, used I him so. to, to pull himself forwards. Yeah. I think yeah. Romero should have done better with it. Um, I think the other thing that's worth bearing in mind with this is that the free kick was from pretty much exactly the same spot that Ward Prowse put in those two crosses for yes. the goals against Southampton. Mm. And I think one of the Wolves games came from the goals came from that spot as well. Yeah, it's a problem area. <laughs> you know, we, when we we think about the um, uh, the Southampton ones, we were blaming Sanchez for that because. Romero was central and Sanchez was at the back post. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's not a personnel thing. And, you know, maybe it's just one of those things, like you said, you know, Ben Mee is a, an experienced mm. de- defender and, 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 and a threat. And, um, you know, in the conditions, they hung it up at the back post and he attacked it. I think he sussed it very well because knowing, uh, I was actually surprised because Romero, uh, who quite frankly has been uh, really pretty excellent, uh, you know, for most of his time with us, uh, I would have thought if he'd have felt that hand coming over, he might have like stuck his bum into me or something or like put you know there might have been a little more physical going back but he, he got he did get done there i mean he got done and it's as simple as that yeah. sometimes it happens sometimes these things happen you know i agree it, it I, I think it does two big guys go up together yeah. and it's and sometimes one gets the better than the other i mean yeah. what i would say though is i don't know if you then saw did you see the replay of the other chance ben me mm. had where he shanked it and then rodriguez Shinned mm. it over the bar. Yeah. If you look at that one, Romero was absolutely terrible in that one. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that then doesn't get focused on. He was just literally letting go mm. and was just nowhere near any of them. But it didn't end in a goal, so it doesn't get analysed too much. But um, Wasn't it? My word. What yeah, a it miss. was. I mean, that should have been 2-0, basically, either from me or Rodriguez, really. Yeah. Um, I will compliment Romero, though, on his 10th-minute tackle, where he... Um, <laughs> uh, he absolutely boomed that bloke in the air. Did you see that tackle in the first 10 minutes? And you, it was one of those ones you hear across the ground. He just, yeah. he just span him up into the air. And it just, I like things like that. It makes me laugh during the game. I think the thing with Romero, we've got to bear in mind that he's only really played a quarter of the season because he lost, you know, kind of two and a half Correct. months to injury. Yes. So, you know, he's, he's new to the right. league, yep. takes a while to adjust. And, you know, most of what he's done has been oh. excellent. Absolutely. And I think that's an interesting point, Milo, because a lot of that translates to a lot with what's going on with the team, mm. really, well, yeah. when you think about it. We're still on we're still on short time at the moment, which we'll probably discuss later, because mm. I think even the manager needs to remember that, I think. Mm. Early in the game, right from the kickoff, there was a, we did a couple of uh, automations in quick succession that I thought looked really bright. Uh, there was clearly some drills we'd worked out to try and get around them, but it, it appeared to dry up a bit as the game went on. Well, you bring up an excellent point, and I think that this probably plays into what I perceive as sometimes a lack of courage at certain moments to push the game. I think that in the stage we're at as a side and with the you know the youth we've got you know, in Sessegnon and, and, and so on and so forth. I think sometimes we're so committed to the automations that if the automations aren't working, we sometimes maybe lack the spontaneous guile to try something within, you know, within a safe framework of those mm. automations, if you will. Um, and I think it's a balance that we will, I think we'll, we'll achieve that with, with uh, you know, uh, with experience. But I do think sometimes we almost look a little lost. If it's not working, we don't quite, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Conte's, style allows for that really it is very very rigid i mean just to pick up on that during the Euro, uh, the uva all or nothing program i think i don't know if it was neved or one of the others they were talking about because well, they were playing obviously inter with um conte and they were talking about the automations and um they said they were just making the point that if you stop them mm. 
he's fucked basically yeah. he hasn't got a clue and, and, and this is where and look it's going to bleed in it's going to bleed into the Leeds game yeah. in a moment and yeah. it does revolve probably around Sessignon more than any player because he is at this point you know he's got the nod for that position and and he has the he has the talent and he has the skill and so when I'm saying courage I just think sometimes there's such a fear of losing possession within the frame that when there's a moment where perhaps he could take the man on he he uh. he, he checks back inside cuz he'd rather be safe and play within the system that's been set and and that is confidence and we'll get into maybe something that happened between the manager and the player on Saturday because we saw a very different Cess um, we'll get into that a little later yeah I mean I think the thing on the automations is so much of that is about um, quick attacking play and against a team that's set you know even even when Burnley pushed men forwards they were very very quick back into possession into position defensively and those two you know, kind of defensive lines playing reasonably narrow trying to force us around the outside is very difficult and you know it's clearly an issue with the the way that Conte is training us at the moment that we or you know the the plans he has for games that we struggle against those teams you know we saw it mm. um uh, you know with Watford we saw it in the second half of the game against Southampton at their place it's a consistent issue and you know if we've got two two problems at the moment it's that or teams that very very aggressively press us um, although you know, in the last week or so, we've seen had a little bit more success against that. I think. I mean, I agree with what Steph's saying. I think we just need to be, and this will all come. It might be familiarity, it might be yes. coaching, it could be everything. Because I think we do default sometimes to so that sideways. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could really strip a game down and say, "Well, why didn't you pass it to him?" Or yeah. why didn't, as in a more advanced thing, to keep the thing going. So if people do get back quicker, like the other team, we just need to be quicker than that yeah. almost mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. And I know the op- I know the opportunities aren't always there, but I think we did default a little bit at Burnley to be safe and I think Steph's is confidence but it's probably um, what Poch always used to say you've got to be brave I know yeah. it's the brave word all the time and that is just that's just not be scared of losing the ball or it going yeah. wrong but Maybe we are a little bit still like that. We're just we're just playing the percentages all the time. I think it plays in as well to you know that the, the manager, the way he works, the way he operates, that and everything. And we'll get into but this is all building up to that conversation later. You know, we had about seventy percent possession in this game, so we had a lot, but a lot yeah. of that yeah was without being threatening. So there was a lot of passing across kind of the front of the box, which again is something you know we you mentioned Poch there, Steph. That was something that we saw quite a lot with Poch when t- we were struggling to break teams down. Um, you know, trying to pass side to side, try to, you know, force them to, you know, to, to, to leave a gap, try and pull them out of position. And if, if teams are rigid and, and don't fall for that, they don't, you know, follow Kane when he drops deep or they don't, um, you know, leave gaps, it's very, very difficult to break yeah. down. I think ultimately the solution to this comes in the transfer market and we probably need something else in central midfield for these games for the time being i'd like to see i mean especially uh, i thought especially sunny actually on uh, at burnley you know it's like just you know go try and get try and just run and see if you can draw fouls see if you can start to make their defenders commit to challenges and just like even if you can't get right in behind just ask more questions in those moments but anyway one other thing i did want to bring up um and i don't know how you two felt i felt there was a real turning point was when kulisevsky uh i I think we all thought he bent that shot into the into the into the bottom left it was so Mm. so close and it was such a such a lovely strike as well and it was uh I, i i thought that that was a turning point i don't know why it just seemed from that point on you know, but Burnley almost seemed galvanised by the fact that it didn't go in. Was that was that just me, or did you both feel the same as you were watching? Um, 
That was just me. Um, so uh, that was my observation. And the game is about glory. I think that the game, uh, I think there was a, uh, that, that was a moment that changed everything. <laughs> well, judging, judging by the more recent game, you should have pulled it into the near post rather than going for the far post because the near post seems to be a speciality. <laughs> I, was ex- I was excited by that shot, actually, because I've been waiting for him to do something like that the last couple of games. And, uh, and again, That's this good. is something that we're going to get into very, very soon is, is, is his continuing development. But before we go, you know, rarely do I like to actually get into what we thought of the opposition. But, you know, Sean Dyke comes in for a lot of, uh, I think, uh, pretty unfair criticism, actually, from people. And I think Burnley come in for a lot of pretty unfair criticism. Uh, what did we think of Burnley is the question. I'll go first. I thought they were actually really, really useful. I thought they looked mm-hmm. really good. I think that, once again, he's proven probably to be one of the shrewdest operators in the transfer market uh, this past January. I thought Weg- Weghorst was an absolute handful mm-hmm. all night kept everyone extremely honest he's managed to all upgrade on a chris wood that he didn't want to lose and i was really impressed with them and uh, once again i mean i know everyone says oh i wouldn't mind if they went down i actually think they're a decent side and you do wonder if sean dyke is ever going to get the chance to work with a proper budget you wonder mm. what he could do because he's obviously a, a fine manager mm. yeah i was just going vocals definitely looks like a direct replacement so they've done well there so it, you know their game plan can stay the same and I think I think Dwight McNeil's a really good player. I think he's and he. I think if we hadn't bought Kulaseski, I'd think we'd be interested. I'd I'd be interested in him as, as someone that we should be interested in. Because, but I think maybe he's quite similar to Kulaseski in that he can play various positions. And just on the side note, it's nice to see Lennon getting game time, oh, and he's even getting a few goals. So yeah, bless him. Yeah, I love yeah. him. Sean Dyke, pat on the back for that alone. Yeah. I thought they were really good. You know, Weghorst is not really a you know, surprise to anyone. You know, he's been around for ages. Everyone knows about him. He's been linked with numerous moves in the past. Um, but, you know, looks looks a really shrewd bit of business. And I thought he had a very, very good game against us. I like Dykstra a lot. I think he's a, a, a good manager. And, you know, he's done an excellent job there. I think, you know, particularly considering how long he's been there to keep those players motivated and get them responding to his techniques is really, really difficult. And, um, sure. um, you know, we've seen, you know, far more decorated or highly regarded managers uh, lose a dressing room after you know after a fraction of the time he's been there. Um, I th- I thought Everton should have gone for him in the summer, and you kind of wonder when when that chance is going to come because he he does deserve I think a chance at a, a richer Jeez. club. You're, you're, you're about to ask what I was about to ask. Go on. Go on I know man. you're going to say it. No, no, you should say it because no, I know no, you. I bet you it's not. I no, bet it's not no. After you, you're you're eating in say, France, no, so you carry on. No, I was going to say that. Do you think then Dice is a bit labelled with the Burnley stigma, mm-hmm. and that's why he can't shift on from there? Yeah, and it's and, that's cruel, basically. And he's been that's there. Cruel. He's been there a long time. He's been there a very long time. Yeah. You actually didn't say what I thought you were going to say. I was going to, just before we move on, the final, like, you know, trip down, uh, you know, trip down that sort of like looking back in the mirror that there's no point of, but we're on a pod, so let's have a little bit of fun for a minute. If in the summer, Sean Dyke had been announced as the new manager of Tottenham Hotspur instead of Nuno, what would our reactions have been? It'd be the wrong choice for us. Nah. No, I'm not having that. <laughs> so for all, so actually, for all the praise we're giving him, we can move on. He can move on up, but he can move on up. We're now saying he's a good bloke and he's a fine yeah, manager, yeah. but he's not a Tottenham so Hotspur. No, we we couldn't have him at our club because he's not. Nah. He's not what it's about. It's about fit, isn't it? And he'd be the wrong fit for us. He's a great. He's a really good manager. He's done a really good job, but he's the wrong fit Should for us. We edit that bit out and. <laughs> Should we edit that bit out and put in the bit we said about Antonio Conte in the summer? That he's not a great fit for us. 
<laughs> said exactly the same thing about him. Oh, dear. I suppose it is about fit, but I do wonder. I mean, you know, if you gave Sean Dyke 50 million quid, I don't know. I mean, not, not in his pocket. I mean, to make signings. <laughs> anyway, 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 whatever. I mean, look, if I'm completely honest, had we appointed Sean Dyke, I wouldn't have been impressed either. I just thought it was uh, one of those questions to throw in at the end of, uh, uh, you know, a quite lively little look back at uh, a defeat that seemed to annoy many people more than us. I mean, I suppose we should be annoyed, but as we'll get to at the end of this pod we've come out of this northern run looking okay if you actually aggregate the points out but we'll get to that you know i think the annoyance is is that we all kind of think well city we've beaten them it's a springboard and we had the springboard after leicester and didn't spring anywhere and we've had the springboard after city and we didn't spring anywhere and that's what gets people down i think but i think people the have to, yeah but i think people have to be smarter and when they watch their football i really do and i'm not i don't well, want to be a snob about it yeah well yeah quite but i don't want to be i don't want to be a snob about it but you know Burnley were always going to be a very different proposition yeah. to Man City. And as we said on this pod before countless times, you know, teams like Man City give give teams like us a chance. You know, they're like, catch us, you know, yeah. catch us if you can. We'll catch you if we can. And if you challenge the two best forwards in the Premier League history, which Sonny and Kane have officially been anointed as, you know, they're going to get the opportunity mm. we did. We got the opportunities against City. But as you said, Milo, Burnley don't give you that. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to, I mean, this is the kind of perfect segue to the next game. It, uh, you know, we said last weekend that um, Man City are kind of the perfect opponents to us because they leave space behind. Leeds are exactly the same. Burnley yeah. are the exact opposite of that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you could take exactly the same Burnley team and, you know, give a bit of space between their midfield and their defence and get them to push you know, 20 yards further up the pitch, we'd have a field day. Smash them, absolutely. But Dyche is yeah. no idiot, and he knows uh, how to play against us. And, uh, you know, he, no, he, he got right. what he deserved. I mean, I think it was a very emotional response. And I said, look, I won't say that I was, you know, I, I didn't like, you know, in the, the final whistle blew, I didn't, wasn't like, ah, okay, well, whatever. I mean, I was very disappointed. I mean, let me, let me not pretend otherwise. But perspective is the key in these situations. There are still... You know, a lot of games left. I mean, the, several the truth, months the and... truth is, immediately afterwards, you were saying that you're not sure that you're the host for this pod. You know, we <laughs> we brought we brought you in to do a job, and you're not sure whether you can do it anymore. And uh, you know, you're not getting the, not getting the response that you wanted. You were quite emotional. It was it was bizarre. Oh. But come Friday, you're all smiles. I don't know what I don't know what happened between. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that uh, sometimes I am very emotional as a pod, um, as a pod, pod, um, what do you call me, a pod, a pod manager, pod host. I, sometimes I wear uh, my heart on my sleeve. And so now I will talk about the Leeds game as your pod host. Uh, okay, Burnley. One positive, one negative, three, two, one, Milo. Positive is it was probably a better performance than the response suggested, I think. A lot of people were kind of judging it by the scoreline rather than the performance. And, you know, we did struggle to break them down, but I don't think we were quite as bad as everyone said. Negative, Benton Kill's injury. He's been great so far. Mm. That slip and twist. Oh, I felt that. I felt that on my sofa mm. as I was watching it. I felt I felt the twinge in in my knackers and in, in my groin. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, not good. But they said it was his ankle. It's an ankle twist, isn't it? What, well, that's what they're saying. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And none of it looked good from. And none of it looked good from the inner thigh down. No. Let me just be honest. So, but no, it's a good shout. Yeah, that was that was. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a significant injury. Yeah, Ricky. Positive for me was um, Decky. He um, another ninety minutes settling in. He wasn't one of the ones taken off. 
so that's good. And I think the negative is going to be a bit route one, and it probably was the Conte interview. Yeah. I mean, I think the positive for me was that we got the game out of the way. This is never a game I, I, I look forward to, especially not in that weather, especially not at this time. Um, so, you know, it's done. It's done now. We don't have to worry about it or think about it. So it's, it's, it's done. And the negative is that we had to play the game and get it out of the way. <laughs> There's just no winning or losing for, for me with this game. It's hard to discern positives and negatives. I will agree with you, Milo, that if I have to be specific, I would say that the negative was losing um, Bentoncourt. That, that is definitely a big one, but inevitable, really. He's played a lot of football in a short amount of time in a league that he's not up to speed with, but has done a remarkably good job of looking as though he is. Um, you know, I suppose if I was going to have a positive, it would be the same as you, Ricky, that Kulisewski continued to really, like, you know, show uh, that he is a genuinely fine signing, as 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 our very own Simon and, and Milo were, were telling us. Um, so, you know, hats off to, uh, you know, to GD2, as I like to call him. Uh-huh. Um, and so we did go from Burnley <laughs> to Elland Road, home of Leeds United Football Club, and a lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, which we approached with, it is fair to say, you know, a degree of trepidation uh, for, ver- for a variety of reasons. Again, some of which we'll be discussing later, revolving around our manager's, uh, shall we say, edgy uh, line of communication post Burnley. Um, and also, you know, you just with these two sides, you never know who's going to show up. Leeds were on a terrible run coming into the game against us. We were, you know, up and down, as we've discussed on this pod on and off. But we did all agree that, you know, Leeds are a side that are going to give you a chance to play. Conti changed the team up a little bit. Chaps? What do we think of the team selection? Well, I think the changes he made, well, obviously some were forced in the centre of the field because as we just said, Benton Core's ankle is looking a bit iffy. Uh, so he brought Winks in for another chance and he's changed his... Uh, I don't know if it's because of the opposition we was playing, but he's changed the wing backs. So we've got Sesk having another game, which is good. Anything that gives him more confidence and he's not had... Uh, any disasters in the recent games since the um, being taken off after half hour. And Maestro Matt. And Maestro Matt, whose stone-faced chisels from granite actually changed expression at one point in this game. Fucking hell, he broke, he broke into a smile. It was <laughs> unbelievable, wasn't it? Wasn't yeah. that unbelievable? So it I didn't was, think I it was humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite Doherty moment of the last eight days... Did you see his reaction to blocking a shot against City? So when he came on late, he was just in front of the box. You know, shot comes in, he blocks it with his foot, and he does a fist pump. And like, <laughs> it's an absolute joy on his face. And all he's done is got, he's got his foot. I mean, brilliant attitude, really like it. But it was just... A, yeah. a, yeah. yeah, just it was lovely to see the kind of response. He celebrated it like a goal, is what. Yeah, no, he was like really, well, really he's turned on by that. Turned on. There by is, it. there are actual inner really. feelings with beyond the dirty exterior. <laughs> it was a bit like Andy Murray winning a point. It was that kind of. Derailed as we have been by the mighty Matt and his varying uh, explosive emotions uh, that we've been, uh, that was, you just got a mini review of the Matt Doherty emotional man of a man of a thousand expressions. 
the amount of <laughs> expressions. Back to that team selection, which, as you quite rightly said, Ricky, did include Sess and Doherty. I mean, let me let me further ask you the question: Do do we think that Conte is actually throwing his full weight behind Sess for that uh, for that left wing back position for the time being, or is it just get you know is he giving Reggie time to recover? I think it's the latter. Reggie's had COVID; he's just giving him some time to get fit. Oh. And at right wing back. I think he's rotating. You cover a lot of ground in those positions. I think he's just trying to keep them fresh. Mm. But uh, Doherty had a very good game to, uh, against Leeds. He's probably thinking the way Leeds play, I mean, they press, but if you get through yeah. that press, then Sess and Doherty, as we saw, are yeah. probably going to streak away down the wing quite often. I mean, that's key. You know, we talked about the space to attack into. And, you know, Doherty's strength is running in behind. He's he's not good at taking players on. Uh, you know, with a team that leaves space to run into, he's going to be um, he's gonna be a, a threat. You know, we talked about Decky a bit already. He, having someone there who's good on the ball. So if you think about when he was played alongside Mora, Mora doesn't have that vision, doesn't have that range of passing, can't see what the runs he's making and check those out. So Decky makes a real difference there. And I think the other thing actually with Decky coming into the side, Doherty's instinct is to run towards the centre of box, and that was Mora's as well. And Conte wants uh, to occupy the um, five channels, so he wants to stretch a team and to uh, the, the length of the pitch and try and pull defenders out. And with Mora and Doherty, that doesn't really work because they're going into the same space. Decky's a lot more comfortable standing out on the out on the flank, out on the on the right wing, and it may well be that he's got his bum to the you know to the line and that he's he, you know, he's looking to run in, but he he will stretch a defence and create that space, and that's something we haven't had before. So I think you know a combination yeah. of actually the team selection and the oppo- opposition suited Doherty in this game, and I think you know if we dropped him into say the Burnley game, then I'm not sure you'd necessarily be seeing the same outcome. One yeah. last thing, we also can't underestimate having Romero behind him as well. We have talked about the importance of Romero. I completely agree. And we'll get on to his game in a minute because I was really excited by his game at Leeds. But, uh, you know, we should, um, you know, in our sort of uh, uh, Matt, Matt Doherty tribute here, I just want to read these statistics because they're quite astounding. They're brilliant. 100% of aerial duels won, 100% shot accuracy, which is, is, is blinding. I mean, he actually scored one and missed a, uh, missed a relative, uh, relative sitter. 89% pass accuracy, 68 touches, four touches in the opposition box, two final third entries, two chances created, two duels won, one goal, one assist, and one massive fuck-off smile for the first time in his Tottenham Hotspur career as he did open his goal-scoring account with us with what we would have to say was not just a great finish... I mean, he would do no prevarication about that finish, but what was possibly a dream Antonio Conte goal, would we not agree? Because Sess mm. has really pushed his, he's put his pedal to the medal there. That's the two wing backs combining. They've scored. I mean, that's the dream Conte goal, is it not? Oh, 100%. I think Conte said that. I mean, that's, that's the kind of things that are going to cheer him up because I think that's, you know, there's some <laughs> of the things he teaches in training. There's some of the, his, his coaching coming through and showing a positive result I think Sess definitely looks good I think early on he put, he put them on warning by putting a few low crosses in and he's definitely got the uh, a wand of a left foot to do that I think Reggie's good at crossing mm-hmm. as well I don't think Reggie's bad but I think I said before I think if Sess ends up maybe in Doherty positions I think he would be a cooler finisher mm-hmm. than Reggie um, I think we've probably seen that he scored plenty of goals for Fulham and that kind of thing but I must credit Doherty there he put his away nice as well when it was the camera shot from behind him he oh. sort of side footed angled it right in the top corner it was great can I ask you both do you think that um, uh, Sess was playing with more confidence than in midweek or do you think it was solely down to the opposition I felt that he really looked like he was determined 
to make an impact in this game as opposed to determined to default to safety first. And I wondered if perhaps Conti had said, to, you know, maybe had a word with him and said, look, you know, push, push, you know, you've got it. You can do this. Push that agenda. Or am I reading too much into it? I mean, I think getting the assist very early in the game probably helped. That must have given us some confidence some good. I mean, generally, in terms of our game plan, getting an early goal made a real difference because Leeds had to come out at us and that created, you know, left more space for us to attack behind. I think if you compare it to the kind of the two previous games, I think you've got to bear in mind the opposition we were playing against, against Man City. He was primarily defending and I thought he was very disciplined and had a, a good game. I think I probably said discipline more than any other word last Sunday. You know, he did try to break and particularly as the game went on, but, you know, against City are, you know, really good, well-organised side who try to force you to play wide and then take you out. You know, that's their game plan. Against Burnley, you know, you're talking about kind of bravery, repeating what I've said five minutes ago, they were very well organised and, and um, sat deep and, and made it difficult for us. And that kind of forces him to play inside because there aren't the options the same. So I, I think you've got to take into account the opposition when we're talking about our wing-backs. Yeah, I mean, I would add to that. I think City and Leeds are what I would call non-standard games, basically. You can play a lot of other teams. They've all got a level of organisation. We've seen that when you play, you know, Villa, Brighton, Southampton, Wolves, Burnley. And so it's hard to read too much into these games, but they do tend to play into our hands. I mean, we've beaten City in a similar way. We've beaten them always. And Leeds... Well, yeah, let's, let's not lie about it. They've been smashed by everyone mm. recently. I mean, let's not enjoy the victory parade too much, although we'll get back to that shortly. To throw a, a certain um, element of context or, or shall we say, reality into this, you know, Leeds had their chances. Mm-hmm. They had a free header in the first seven minutes that they should have buried. When we went two up, they immediately came back and nice. should have made it 2-1. Two off the post. Really hit uh, the post, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Larice was lucky to stay on the pitch. <laughs> Well, yeah, we had that extraordinary miss. And I mean, well, we'll accelerate to that moment right now, actually, because it is an area of concern for me is that Hugo recently has been prone to a little bit of scatterbrain uh, behavior, both with the mistakes he he made uh, in a couple of the home games there, uh, Southampton and Wolves. And then this particular moment where, you know, you've got to say, you know, we were comfortably up, 3-0 up. I mean, there's no real need to get into that situation. Yet he nearly lost his head. I mean, we're just fortunate that, you know, Dallas took too long to put the chance away. I mean, look, huge credit to Ben Davis mm. for getting back and making the block. But let's let's have nothing about it. That should have been a goal. Are we concerned that our defending still looks a little shaky at times? Are we concerned that, you know, Hugo is sort of having these rickets a little more often than not of late? I think he's had spells before and then he has come back and... He has come back and improved himself and stepped up his standards again. I don't think he's... Um... It may be just a phase, and, and maybe in this specific game against Leeds, because they play in a kind of slightly wild west way, um, they might, you know, they're going to have it's chances. Good. They're going to, mm-hmm. you know, and it could have been 6-2 the game or something like that. But as regards to, I don't know, it's weird how Loris has gone into that, because obviously he went into a really solid period of form where we were, like, praising mm. him so much. Maybe he was just playing for his contract. <laughs> I, mean, I think um, <laughs> in that move, you know, he's come out of his area in order to try and, you know, act as an extra defender, try and pass it up. It's a high risk thing. You mm. know, the, the, his pass is blocked and the, you know, the attack is sprung. So I think, you know, if you're doing that, it's a risk. It's a risk that we know we're taking. Um, so I'm not too worried about that. Him diving at his, at Dallas's feet. If he'd actually done what he was trying to do, then he's going to pull him down and he's going to get sent off. You mean diving at Dallas's mm. feet? 
Right. Yeah, if you caught him, he's, he, Dallas is going down and Larice is getting sent off, isn't he? Yeah, oh, 100%. I mean, that was the bit that really surprised me. I don't mind the risk so much. Mm. Sometimes that's right, sometimes that's wrong. And at 3-0 up, yeah. you probably get whatever. But I, I was amazed that he had that. It was like a reactive brain yeah. fart there. I mean, he's very... I've, we, because you don't want to lose him. No. You, know, you don't want to have to... I mean, my God, can you imagine if we had Galini well, in goal for the next three games? Goodness gracious. Galini wasn't on the bench. It was it was Austin today. And, I did notice and that. It was Austin, uh, oh, good. And it was Austin against Burnley as well so oh fantastic I've been searching to try and find out whether Galini has got an injury or whether he's, uh, he's unwell and I can't find any reference to it no Lini eh excellent <laughs> which was the one that went back to Sweden Whiteman mm. oh Whiteman yeah sorry yeah. Degafors uh, yeah, so Brendan Austin was was on the bench for the last two games. I don't mm. know whether there's something up with Galini or whether it's we've actually made that decision to to, to change. I haven't been able to find anything out okay. about it. To not trip the purchase option in any way, shape, possibly. or form. Yeah, possibly. Anyway, your fears are unfounded, Steph, because Galini wouldn't have come on if he'd got sent off. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> when we get our one positive, just one negative. I've done my positive there. Okay. <laughs> well, you can just say it again because it it will bear repeating, and I can get excited about it again. Just to conclude. On Hugo, I mean, at least the um, the superb reflex saves are still there. He still churns them out in every yes. game. Yeah, and we know he's good at that. You're right. Let's look at Harry Winks for a minute. How do we think he played? I mean, I think that he is traditionally one of our more maligned players, quite simply because he tries to make things happen and uh, just can't always do it. But I don't think he ever plays with, with anything less than a brave heart. I thought he played very well. I thought he helped move things on very quickly. I thought there was a crispness about our play and movement, you know, and while we're looking at central midfield, you know, tip of the hat to, uh, to Hoybeer for that uh, marvellous ball into Harry Kane, really nice. But going back to Winksy, you know, what did we think? Are we going to be able to ride out Bentoncourt with him? Or is it going to be a case of as soon as Skip's fit, he's going to come right in? I don't think Bentoncourt is going to be out for two... Well, there's mixed reports on this. I think there were reports that it's going to be about three weeks. I think that's what Dan Kilpatrick had said. But in yeah. Conte's press conference, he seemed to suggest that it wouldn't be that long and that... You know, it might just be this game. I, I wouldn't imagine we'd risk him against Borough, but it would be a boon if he was back for Everton next weekend. Yeah, I mean, if Benton Kerr's out and skips back, Conte's preference when Hoybier and Skip have been fit is to play both of them. I'd imagine he'd probably do that again. But Winks is an option. And I think, you know, we're in quite a good position where we've got four central midfielders where you could play pretty much any combination of the four and it would be okay. But Benton Kerr is yeah. head and shoulders above everyone else, I think, on, on what we've seen so far. Yeah, and if we're sticking with a two in a sort of three, a three, four, three, then... I can see Benton Kerr and Skip being maybe a partnership that could um, do things. But as you say, Milo, it's any of the four. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not disappointed with any of them play really. I thought Winks was okay. Yeah. He was good, but he progressed the ball. And the other thing is, considering Leeds press, I don't remember him losing no. it, particularly in any dangerous places. No. So no criticisms from me for Winksy. And as you say, with, uh, Hoiberg's lovely pass. And it, this is the thing with Hoiberg, creativity. He's, he does do the odd really, really good pass, like a mm. deadly kind of, you know, Every the last so pass before the shot kind of thing. He is capable of that. I want to throw this one out here as well. And this is, uh, this is possibly why I am not a Premier League manager. It may be the only reason I'm not is for this next judgment. I looked at Romero and I thought against Leeds especially, you know, he's such an asset pushing upfield. He was relentlessly aggressive pushing upfield and really seemed to want to get in there and amongst it and was reluctant to come back uh, at times. Not saying he was guilty of dereliction of duty at all. He wasn't. But he shows such appetite for the attacking side of the game. I found myself looking and wondering if there was any way that maybe 
if we were to sign another centre-back in the summer, is could he also become a holding midfielder for us in any in, in any situation? Is there a possibility or am I completely off my rocker there? I mean, temporary even. I mean, that's effectively what he played for Atalanta, although he was the central centre-back in oh. a three. He was pushing forwards. The, kind of the difference between that and uh, and uh, you know central centre-back is, is minimal, really, in terms of where he is. I think um, we'd lose... A bit, and if we're signing centre backs in the summer, I wouldn't be focusing on that side of defence. I think it's the other two, the other two positions in in central defence that we need to be prioritising. And you know what Conte is looking for is for those runs upfield so that we can create an overload. So he's going to want a player running from deep and uh, giving us that numerical advantage. But yeah, he could he could play there, but we'd need to sign three centre backs before we could even consider it. I think probably. Mm. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think the word you're looking for, Steph, is marauding, isn't it? It, it is. Just goes, what a lovely word. Yes. He well, just, well, I love to see his heat, heat map from that Leeds game because oh. sometimes, as you say, it was almost like Brilliant. he ended up going up and then was just thought, well, I'll go back in a minute, but I just might have other work <laughs> to do here. I'm just going to like sniff out because he will. I love it when he's like, I love it. It's almost like those, do you know those, um, when you see those images from fighter mm. pilots where it's got like the target. <laughs> and so I think he's got one of them on some players and he just goes after them yeah. and he won't leave them I, alone. I watched quite a bit of his Atlanta games when he signed. You know, the way their back three lined up was quite unusual in that the central central, def- yeah, central central defender Romero was playing the most advanced rather than behind the other two. And quite often what you'd see him do is very similar. He'd, he'd go upfield, but what he was doing, he, he was tackling players from the other side. You know, he was going upfield, <laughs> play would get turned over, exactly. and then you'd see him, you know, yeah. the kind of def- the tackle that you'd normally expect to see Kane do or something like that, coming around the side and taking the ball off people yeah. from, from behind them. I was left watching him thinking, wow, you know, if you're chasing a game with 10 minutes to go, you could do far worse than get him up there, up and in it. I mean, you know. I've got to be honest with you, though. In terms of centre backs in the Premier League, apart from what, Van Dijk, Diaz, maybe, Diaz. is there anyone else you take over him? Those two apart? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Personally, no. I mean, I think he's. I mean, I think when you think of the fact, as we've all said, this is his first season and it's mm. been broken up with a, a lengthy injury. And you just see the bristling potential in this player, and you know there's more to come. It's incredibly exciting. It's got to be one of the it best is. signings we've made. He's in young years. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's another one that's uh, above. He, he the way he plays is above his years. I think that mm. probably goes the same with Kulovetsky. Mm. Seems a bit like that. But um, mm. uh, the, but I'd go back to what we said. I think from the start when we joined, he's a he's a lot of fun to watch, and that's quite important mm. as a supporter. Mm. He's great oh, fun. Absolutely, to see that absolutely. on the field. So I have to also point out. To, to our listeners because I think it's going to be important that in your pub discussions over the last week that you start to, to, to just get this out there you know how about viewing our great northern run uh, positively how about looking at it as two wins out of three and how about thinking of the scenario where we beat Leeds and Burnley and the defeat was to Man City. I mean, we are still right in the hunt for fourth, especially when you see, you know, how many of those around us need to play each other. And of course that we need to play. So chaps, do you think that the, uh, the doldrums that surrounded our club uh, midweek would have been any different had the defeat happened to Man City and not Burnley? Yeah, probably. I mean, everyone just hates losing to a team who we automatically think are massively inferior to us when of course they're not. Um, and then losing to City is, well, no shame on anyone, really. The, the kind of Goliath of a team that they are and the players they've got. Um, 
I don't know really. I suppose the, the thing I think the carry the carryover is from the Southampton Wolves game. I think that's what's been mm-hmm. a bit of an effect. Yeah, that's a very fair point. Yeah, because really, uh, I've I said at the time, yeah, like the Leicester game should be nothing but a massive inspiration. That's almost like a tenfold game of inspiration and confidence boosting. When you win a game like that, it it should have massive impact on mm. morale and togetherness. Depending on how we end up and where we end up in the league, I think that Southampton and Wolves, those two games, we'll look back on that as either, well, mm. if, if we fail, then that's maybe where the failure came, I think. Yeah, very very interesting way of looking at it. Two home games as well, mm. weren't they? So Yeah, you know, what, did we, we, what did we think of Leeds? I will say that I thought that they just looked like a side uh, desperate to try and like keep their manager in a job, but it was never going to happen. And I will also say that um, I've forgotten who it was. I think it was, um, was it Junior? Someone fouled Kane. It was a really nasty mm. foul. It was a really yeah. petulant. Mm. Oh, oh, maybe it was Rodrigo. Sorry. It was Rodrigo, I think. Um, yeah. It was a very petulant, nasty foul. And uh, for me, almost bordering on a red. I mean, I mm-hmm. thought it was really poor and I was actually worried that he'd done him. Um, I was very disappointed to see that. Actually, that's not what I associate with this lead side. So, but um, yeah, I, I I think if they continue to play the way they were playing against us, that it would be suicidal. I mean, but I I doubt that they will, given that Bielsa lost his job. So, mm. what did you guys think of Leeds? I mean, they have struggled for injuries, and they did gallantly play on through all COVID kind of issues, and other teams were you know playing the system and that kind of thing. But um, Calvin Phillips has been out, Bamford's been out a lot. They're big misses for them. Bamford really mm. impressed me with how he's led the line since he moved up to the Premier League for them because I thought when he was in the lower division he wasn't going to be Premier class but so that's cost them I think and you just can't ship that many goals really they really were even when they raced back against United it United still and United are you know if you can get amongst United usually you can get something out of them if you pull it back to 2-2 and even United went on for 4-2 wins so the writing was on the wall for them I think it's a shame. Yeah. I mean, I think before our last game against Leeds, I'd said that I'd question whether Bielsa had run out of steam. And I think, you know, the type of personality he is um, and the way he gets his teams to play and, you know, how hard he trains them, you know, it means that you've either got to replace the players or, you know, you're not going to last very long as a manager. And I think, you know, we can see some similarities there with what happened with Poch with us and I'm no lover of Leeds United but I do feel for their fans a little bit tonight because you know they had that connection with Bielsa similar to we had with Poch and they must be feeling pretty raw at the moment Mm. Um, it's a shame because he's been a character hasn't he and it's it's been fun having him in English football and I think he's done a lot better than most people would have expected when he when he first came in that said Jesse Marsh looks like he's going to be lined up to replace him he's an exciting young manager and I'm I'm excited I'm interested to see Mm. how he does and the final word on the game surely belongs to to Harry Kane and Sung Min I mean again they they made history together in this game and and Harry you know continued to show that all we want is a team of Harry Kane's phenomenal passing sublime finish I mean there's you know as the cliche says we run out of superlatives but I really have run out of superlatives for the pair of them um anything to add to the uh superlative sapped um Steph here Chaps. It's a bit bizarre with Kane because he's amazing. He's just basically playing two positions with a nine and ten. He'll play both roles in the game quite happily. But what I don't quite get, because I think in that game, Ailing was just tracking mm, around after some right, yeah. all the time, like man to man. And the thing I can't quite work out with Kane is he's not playing like, he's not doing blindside runs or doing anything sneaky. He just drops in 
And surely, yes, Sun's a dangerous player, but I think, have you not noticed that Kane is absolutely a really dangerous player? And I think City did that as well. They, they just basically come 10 yards, he drops in 10 yards in front, it's in front of all the defenders. Mm. They can see this is happening. And surely a, a reasonable tactic would be is, can you just keep on tight on him whenever it happens? Because he's absolutely hodolesque <laughs> in his passing. Mm. <laughs> and it's causing, it's, it's leading to goals. Especially as that's what teams did against us when Mourinho was manager and it completely cut off our supply. Yeah. supply. And the positions Kane is yeah. taking up at the moment are very similar to the ones he was taking up under Mourinho. Oh. He's dropping a lot more, a lot deeper now than he was earlier in the season. I mean, obviously, we're committing more men forward, so it's not quite the same as it was under Mourinho, where it was just really the two of them. Mm. I do think that Decky takes a bit of pressure off Kane as well, in that he, you know, he's a bit more physical, yeah, it's a great, and uh, he's Definitely. also got a nice range of passing. And they seem to be yes. linking up, you know, although it's still very early days, uh, they seem to be linking up together well as well. So, Well, there's a lot more synergy between those three than there is when Lucas is in. There's a lot more flow. I think the obvious thing with Decky is he's got, um, he's got in-game intelligence, yeah. I think. And yes. Mora's got minimal of that. And I just think it's, it's, yes. it's a, and for someone who's only 21, it's amazing that he's, he sees the game. And like you were saying earlier about, um, Doherty, uh, he might go out wide, but he sees the space and knows when to let other people run into he's it. And that only kind of thing. 21. And his career's he's, just he's... begun. Our decky. Ooh, our decky. There you go. <laughs> a new song. Today, he became our, uh, our third highest scorer in the Premier League this season after Son and Kane. Oh, That's really pretty embarrassing, go. isn't it, actually? Yeah. Well, you can cut that but, last bit. <laughs> but, if, yeah. but yes, I know your point is If well, he ends mate. up sort of eight to 12 goal a season, man, then great. That's because we do need one of them, really. And if it's more on a kind of, if it feels more like a reliable and consistent basis rather than sort of more who sometimes bursts into little streaks, then... That's good. And the other thing, if he's good and better than Mora, is Mora then becomes a sellable asset, really. I, so. I think the other thing with uh, Decky is that we've seen him play, what, three positions now? So yeah. we've seen him play right wing back, right inside forward. We've seen him play mm. at number 10. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, you, we, we've heard of the Swiss army knife. We have the Swedish army knife. He's a, you're right. He's a utilitarian of, 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 a, of a high calibre, it must be said. Uh, I'm wondering also, do you think that we could get away with making up a song like, come on, Decky? Oh, no wonder... Decky's Midnight yeah. Runners. Am I tangenting too much? While we're talking about songs, though, it was really nice to hear Can't Smile Without You really loudly. Yeah, really good rendition and of that. Yeah. I yeah. really wish we sung it at home, and I really wish we took the pitch to it. I think... Yeah. I think yeah. taking the pitch to it and everyone singing along might do quite a lot to actually give us good vibes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's... A, 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 it's a great suggestion, and I think that as we've been complaining about the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, that... that uh, we all need to you know, we we need to up our singing game it's a bit it's a bit off right now we need to start getting yeah. inventive again yeah we need a we need a better antonio song that yeah. kind of chelsea antonio oh. antonio's rubbish and also that oh. antonio blah blah he that drinks moretti that blah, blah, blah. that's the other awful. thing that is awful absolutely awful and most some of our other songs are normally just plagiarized from somewhere else we do we do need to step up our game on that chaps chaps before we go any further i just want to mention that whole bit about harry kane and you know why aren't teams um could you cut that bit out because i don't want anyone else hearing it because if they're not if they're not copying to it we can't be the ones that blow the blow the cover for that so let's be clandestine right anyway one positive one negative let's get to it uh three two one ricky uh it's kane again it's got to be kane 
and my negative is Bielsa really because I suppose it's turned out that we were the final nail in the coffin for him and he's he's great to have people like that in the league he's complete fruit bat and um <laughs> I don't know where he goes now either. I worry for the old man. So um, My positive is Decky, um, for the reasons already covered. Um, I was going to say Bielsa as well. I'll have to think of another one. Oh, sorry. Um, oh, you're in France. France. Yeah. Is it France? Bielsa. He's taking your... Is it, or, is it, or is it actually... Am I actually mismanaging this situation and always giving you the first bite of the... Tra- no, no, that was open. Anyone could have taken that, right? Yeah. No, no, I did the, direct it to the, you. Um, what about the third kit? That is... I, I, can't, I can't get on board with I love the it. I wore, dis- I wore that. Oh, I wore that on step. Tuesday when I... Mate, did I you? wore that on Tuesday when I played, yeah. Goal and assist FKW. in my hotel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Proudly so. My positive was seeing us win 4-0 away from home. I mean, what could be more positive than that? Nice lunchtime as well, like Sunday, you know, the rest of your weekend to bask in the glory of it. And actually, my negative was when they started popping the statistics up about Kane and Sun being the most successful goal-scoring duo in the Premier League history. And I thought, my God these two brilliant players and we have not won a trophy with them. And I I just have to say that was resoundingly uh, sad to me. It's like, you know, I I was struggling to think of any team in the top six who would have had those two for so long and not been able to get a trophy. And at this point, I do want to state I am not a trophy wanker. So uh, I may be a wanker, but I'm not a trophy wanker. Uh, So, it was just a reflection on the fact that with that amount of goals and assists coming from two players, you really would have expected, you know, a bit of silverware in the old cupboard. Ah, oh dear. Antonio, Antonio, our beloved Antonio. This past week was dominated by Antonio Conti's emotional post-match press conference following the Burnley game. You know, normally we actually wouldn't get into this particular topic, but, you know, the drumbeat, for Antonio's press conferences and his up and down uh, emotional um, displays, shall we say, has has created such a cacophony that, you know, we really don't think as a pod that we can avoid discussing it and looking at it uh, in, a, in a rational fashion. So that's what we're going to do. Um, let's just get into what he did say in the post-match interview against Burnley. You know, he said, uh, you know, uh, various things, but he said a couple of things which of note, I came here to help the club. And if the problem could be the coach, I'm ready to go. No problem. Uh, obviously come Friday's pre-match press conference for the Leeds game, he was smiling again, uh, you know, and Conti was saying this on his mood following that Burnley loss. He said, for sure, when I lose, if you expect that I am happy or to come to a press conference and laugh, I am not this person. I am sorry if I show my disappointment because maybe it would be good to keep this inside and not show my emotion. I am an honest person. It is difficult for me to lie or hide the truth. And for this reason, sometimes after a loss, my mood is not top. Sorry for this, but I am this. And, you know, it's it's worth bearing in mind, as I said, that, you know, this has been a drumbeat that's been picking up, picking up, picking up. Similar stuff came post-Southampton and Wolves. Uh, and then, you know, after the Man City game, it was, you know, a, a 180. He's gone completely in the other direction where this is the greatest group of players he's ever worked with and he loves them and so on and so forth. The week before that Man City game, he had uh, done an interview with Sky Italia where he was forced to clarify some comments in a press conference ahead of the Man City game. You know, it was then revealed he wasn't going to be talking to the Italian media. Look, we could pick this apart, this, that, this, that. It's very clear that Antonio in the press is a roller coaster. You know, that's where we're at. Chaps, how much of this is just Antonio himself? Um, uh, are we naive not 
to have expected this to be the case at our club? Over the last few weeks, I've kind of thought many things about Antonio um, and the way he is and the way he is. I mean, we all said he's honest and he wears his heart on his sleeve and he's emotional and that. But I think, I mean, if I boiled it down and once I've reconciled my thoughts about someone, I then have sort of a great acceptance of what or who he is. And my conclusion really is who he is, is he's basically Spurs Twitter, isn't he? That's what he is. <laughs> And he's a bit, he's a bit fragile. He's a bit schizo and stuff like that. And I've got to the stage now where bit, maybe a little bit, way, little bit, way, a bit, little bit. And because of that, I think of him now just in the same way as Spurs Twitter, which is basically, I'm quite happy just to switch off from him. And I don't mean that in a horrible way towards him because I still like him as a manager. I still like him as a coach. I like it that he's honest. But am I happy? Um, you know. Am I kind of annoyed by him now? No. But I suppose I could extend that out. Are the club annoyed by him? Maybe yes. Because, you know, they've got to fight these media fires every week. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the last thing they kind of need, a constant circus going on and from one uh, news conference to another. And some of the stuff he says is a bit... I, I'm not really sure where he's coming from. I know. He, I mean, he says he needs... He's, his perception is he needs time, but he's the one that seems to have forgotten about that mm. time. In other words, it's almost as though he's impatient. And I think he is a bit, he said that himself. I think he's a bit of an impatient person. But he needs to just basically focus on the job and get on with it. And he's, you know, and we're not saying he's not doing it. I don't think the chairman's saying he's not doing it. And saying things like, oh, I need to, you know, the club needs to assess this. We need to have talks. I'm going to see Daniel. Probably sees Daniel every day. And I've, and most of what's been said has all been said in the first meetings we ever had with him and probably in the second meetings when he actually arrived. He's received all the memos. He knows what's going on. And it can't necessarily be about players because why you can't really moan about players now because you can't do anything about that till the summer. So um, he just kind of needs to get on with it. And I hope his coaching ability is as good as what we pay him for. I don't always like associating everything to money, but, you know, he is paid 15 million quid a year and he needs to make sure. And I'm sure it is going in the right direction, but he can't get annoyed about it. He's not, he's, he's not Spurs Twitter. He can't get annoyed about it. Maybe it is actually just a ploy to get Daniel out of the canteen at the training ground. Yeah, maybe. He, just, he does yeah, all I this. That, yeah. And Levy, Levy yeah. thinks, oh, fuck that. I'm not, going, I'm not going to go in there for a croissant and a, and a coffee tomorrow morning because Antonio is still going to be raging. I'll hide him in the office at Lily White House and avoid him for a few days. So, yeah, maybe you know, he's, a, he's a smart operator and we're, yeah, we're just missing this. Yeah. Um, uh, I did expect it. So, you know, this is what he's done everywhere he's been. He's always been a bit over the top. He's always put pressure on the clubs he's working for. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I didn't think he'd be the right appointment in the summer. And um, it wasn't anything to do with his coaching ability. I just didn't think that uh, emotionally, as a kind of fan set, uh, yeah, fan base, we would be, you know, that was the right thing after Mourinho, which kind of put us through the wrangler as well and i think you know when you look at the reaction to all this from our fans i think there's i think actually collectively as a group we're suffering from fatigue you know since you think since we kind of lost the champions league final we've had you know everything falling to pieces under poch and him sacking the you know, Mourinho, covid european super league uh you know the kind of protracted search for Mourinho's successor nuno and that all going wrong from you know very early on and then you know kind of conte's outbursts now and you know it's, it's i think it's tough and you know when i saw his comments on wednesday night i think i said to you guys that um 
you know the fan base is going off on one this will take a few mm. days and then and then he's not gonna he's not gonna quit but that's what everyone's gonna be talking about for a few days and then he'll clarify yeah. it all later on yeah. and I just find it all a bit painful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're actually dealing with a manager who, quite frankly, is not used to working with a club like ours. I don't think he's been in this situation uh, very often in his career. I mean, uh, early doors he, he he was, but I don't think recently you could say he's worked with a setup like ours in a situation in the situation we're in. And I think he's found himself in a couple of new sort of areas that he he's just not used to, and that so the handbag goes flying. And, and, and the comments come flying at me. When I heard him talking about, you know, the club have to evaluate this situation if I'm not the right manager, I almost felt that he was so sort of self-critical of his of potentially his own performance that he was putting that out there ahead to say, look, maybe I am shit at Tottenham. I didn't take it that I'm not getting what I want and I'm going to walk. I took it almost as him really trying to figure out in his head what was going on, except he was just blurting out of his mouth. Which is why I suggested that if there was any possible way to get maybe a Ryan Mason to do those post-match press conferences within the, the realms, I, I thought it might be a good idea. I don't know. but I think on Mason, that only works if it's Conte's idea. If, if it's not Conte's idea, then that becomes the story and that's destabilising in itself. Which could be, which someone could surely plant that idea with him and say, hey, this would help you. I, I took it to be what I think it is, is that he's very, very emotional and... Mm-hmm. Talks a lot of shit after a loss, like Spurs yes. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're all so we're all coming to the same conclusion. You mean there's no like higher messaging going on here, really? Yes, there isn't, is there? Ali Gold did say that it was meant to be premeditated, and it was a message to the players, and that he's trying to get them to care as much as he does. Suffer. You see, I would be very disappointed if that was something that he had raised as the reason behind it. Because the one thing I did think about all this is it would be really great. And you alluded to this earlier, Ricky, given that he's asking for patience from everyone who pays to go to the games week in, week out. I think he also needs to understand his own extreme control over every facet of the club's emotions at this point, from the playing staff to the fans. And thus, he needs to look at himself and think, well, I've got to be a smoother operator. And this goes back to the Southampton game. And I'd said this at the time. We go 2-1 up. I understand the excitement. I was there. I lost my shit as well. But I would have wanted a bit more stability than for him to start trying to pick a fight, you know, over the Southampton injury and so on. Keep it calm, you know. And, and so I think he has a responsibility to do that and to bring it down, turn it down. You know. I mean, two things, going back uh, going back to what Milo was saying earlier, I mean, I know he's coached at other clubs, but I'm not quite sure whether any of us really watched any of those clubs on a week-to-week basis to know if he flip-flopped like this. And mm. I think the second thing is, does I wonder what his awareness is of the fragility of our fan base's mentality, because it does turn into a shitstorm mm. every single time. And I'm not sure whether that's a bit tiresome for the club. I mean, obviously... The club and Conti will do whatever they want to do anyway, so it shouldn't really be affected by the fans. But the fans just tend at the moment. They almost see him as a bit of a kindred spirit, I think, as a as a kind yeah. of I, an ally against the hierarchy. You've got of the that club. triangle that you always want, Ricky, between the the fans, the yeah. club, and the manager, just not in the way that you normally you normally want it. No, no, no. It's the poison triangle. Yeah. The problem is, is that a lot of our kind of online fan base is quite poisonous at the moment. You know, I touched on this again the other week. Mm. And, you know, kind of the Enoch out kind of group kind of latch on everything 
that he says if he says anything negative about the the um the club it's kind of becomes a self-justifying thing almost where people will actually see you know see he thinks exactly the same as us he's going to stick it to levy and i think i don't think that's mm. what he's doing and i think it's a bit more nuanced than that and i'm sure there will come a point with him where he does use press conferences yeah. to push for more money to be spent and what have you because again that's what he's done at other clubs but i don't think that's what he's doing here i think he's just frustrated after a, after a defeat yeah. and 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 let's say talk shit yeah i agree i will say i thought that for him to go again after burnley with another one of those over emotional overall press conferences was slightly irresponsible and i i really hope that if anything has come out of this past week it is that he has understood once and for all that really if we're going to have a cohesive push for the next three months to try and end up as high up the table as we can he needs to be part of that and he needs to understand that his emotional modulations are simply too extreme for for people to handle right now and he needs he needs to I, mean, I, in a I bit. thought it was a bit disproportionate to the performance. Yeah, I thought I, was I about agree to with say that. that. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You know, if you think about the Southampton game, you know, Steph, we, you know, you said, you know, we're we're ahead and then uh, effectively concede the same goal twice within a couple of minutes, or you know, the Wolves game where there were a couple of fuck ups, and actually, you know, we played quite well against Wolves, but we threw away the game hmm. with a couple of fuck ups against Burnley. You know, there's one mistake for their goal, um, but overall, actually, I thought you know, for the for the bulk of the game i thought we were controlling the game just not doing enough with it and it just felt disproportionate i I was surprised the thing he seems to be getting at all the time is the psychology of the team either not being strong enough or too weak or you've got to die he keeps saying this you've got to kill your opponent and that kind of thing and i think it annoys him when we lose but i don't always like it when he attributes that the other team's got those qualities because i didn't think I don't think Burnley wanted it more than us, and I don't think Wolves necessarily wanted it more than us. A lot of those games have all been mm-hmm. coin flips, really, and like certain things have happened, like you say, Milo, that have like knocked it in one way, one direction or the other. And I think they've always looked like they're playing for him, which is yeah. a good thing. That's like a bare minimum. And I don't think we necessarily look mentally weak. What we might look a bit, which is more down his road, is we might sometimes look mm. a bit tactically weak or we're not playing with confidence. And those are two things I absolutely agree with, 100%. And where does that sit? And the other problem you've got is, is fans mm. will latch on to the squad yeah. being shit, the players aren't good enough, he hasn't got this, he hasn't got whatever. And I think, I think I said this in our chat, numbers two to eight in our team, everyone says, oh, they're, they're crap or they're not good enough. Um, and, but surely they're as good as the numbers two to eight in yeah. Wolves team or Southampton's team or whatever. And, the, and you watch those teams and you've got no, you can't fault them for the way they're coached and the way they try. And the one thing those teams haven't got is they haven't got the number nine and 10 that we've got. So really that could then fall on Conte. But the get out I would give to Conte, and this is what he needs remind him of himself is he's only been here yeah. four months some of those yes. other teams have been there yeah. 12 months 24 months yes. 36 months and we just need to hold on for those moments really and him himself this is the annoying thing and I think he said he's mm. impatient and he wants to like rush it because maybe he's had instant success of other teams he it's just a bit of a longer project but he keeps saying that himself this is the annoying yeah. thing and then yeah. and then blowing up the other in the other direction it's just I think your oh, point about kind of frustrating. the fans assessment of the squad is I think is it's is right. And I think, you know, we're seeing individual players being um, singled out by fans and, and getting kind of excessive criticism, you know, against Burnley. It was our fullbacks. 
And I do think that, you know, some of Conte's reaction is kind of probably heaping further pressure on players who probably, you know, isn't helping them. And I'm sure that's not what he's he's seeking to do. It makes you wonder how much that his comments and his interviews bear down on the squad player on the team basically I'm not quite sure whether they take a lot of it on board or or whatever I would think that they would I mean I would think that it's again I think that he is such a cult of personality and look make no bones about it we're incredibly lucky to Mm. have him let's let's Mm. not let's not deny that we are lucky to have him and he is a great manager but with that comes the great responsibility of understanding your, your 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 charges and your audience and I think we are in that spot where we're quite emotionally, t- very emotionally tied Steph, to in your, in your line of work, you must have worked with some people who are incredibly talented, but emotionally volatile occasionally. It's difficult working with people like that, isn't it? It's tiring. Um, it's taxing. But if you care enough about the talent you're working with, you effectively man- manage mm. a situation and you find a way around it. And you, and you sort of, in a sense, acquiesce to understanding, okay, I'm constantly going to have to read the situation of how this person is in order for them to be able to be who they are. So, I mean, I think that's something that, you know, Paratici and Levy ought to be able to do, but probably a big ask of the players who, who are spending yes. more time with him. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that actually you make a very good point. Um, uh, and I, I don't know if it was intentional or, but, or otherwise, but this is a moment where, you know, maybe Paratici can take him aside and say, hey, let me let me help you here and put into effect some of the things we were talking about earlier, where, you know, how about if you were to have someone do those immediate post-match conferences, it takes the pressure off you. How about if you, and, you know, just the two of them, figure out a coping strategy for the rest of the season i i I, so yeah you make a very good point and i I mean look i would hope that something like that is happening already and has been happening because it can't i don't think it can go unchecked because uh, i think we've i think i think we're all agreeing there's you know the guy's not going anywhere Hmm. but as of now he's not going to go walking and he's not saying he's walking in the summer he's just as we say he's expressing himself uh rather more freely than i think is 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 helpful for the team and so it's it's yeah i agree maybe maybe that is the answer let's hope that paratici is is doing that work i mean it won't be daniel daniel won't be doing that work really and it's not that's not daniel's forte Uh, (laughs) as milo says he's disappeared into lily white house hunkered down in a safe room <laughs> yeah he's quite shy so as you you're both right he's not he's not he's scared to get a croissant in in the lodge right now so i've got to admit i do wonder whether he's going through the menopause <laughs> absolutely blinding I, 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 yes i think it's very possible he's in the age range isn't he <laughs> i don't know you tell me steph no uh, i think he's yeah, quite 52 is he 52 i think 52 Mate, or 53. that's primed that's prime territory. No, he's absolutely... What What a brilliant observation. And this, my friends, is what you get with The Game is About Glory. We don't just stick to the, the tabloid fodder. We go deeper. I think it's very possible. Male menopause is something that is not discussed very much, and it should be, because there is there is a shift. You know, your, your testosterone goes. Maybe you have to adjust to that somewhere here and there. You maybe get a little more emotional than you should. Things don't make sense. Sometimes you wake up feeling like a complete asshole for no reason whatsoever. And I mean... Bear in mind, none of us are uh, qualified doctors, so take this with a pinch of salt. But Milo, I think you may well be onto something. I think perhaps. Yeah. I mean, that and also he can't have been happy about those defeats in the rain. I mean, there were those pictures that came out afterwards of, of, of his hair afterwards, which were showing, you know, shall we say, showing the spaces between the lines, if you will, which is something that Antonio doesn't like on the pitch or off it. I don't know. I... Yeah, I think he could be a little bit self-conscious 
you know, his self-esteem, that whole hair business, you know, he's really, he's gone to town on that from going bored to then being very traumatised by Twitter photos of wet Barnet. So the old, yeah. um, the old caps come out now. So And he's, he's not a cat man, is he? So he's probably looking and saying, you know, uh, I don't look good in a cat. And, Especially uh, and, one from and, the club shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cheap one as well. I don't think it was even the, the fitted one. I don't know, uh, Milo. I think you may be onto something. I mean, if uh, if if anyone out there wants to tweet us uh, their thoughts on it, if they have any, um, perhaps they have a medical insight into fifty-two-year-old men. I mean, I, I'm going to be fifty-five, and I feel that I went through it to a degree. I, I so do. We're not, we're, we're not saying this is typical, the typical of Spurs luck that we've lucked into a manager going through the menopause. <laughs> <laughs> It could Typical work us. to the it could work to the positive if we could just read the lines and read the modulations. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Cool. I just got to point this out, Ricky. Yeah, My, Milo had the thought, and he's just planted the seed, and he's just sitting there watching you and I riff off this seed mm. of a thought. But again, <laughs> it is his observation. I'm very. I mean, I. I mean, t- t- seriously, do you do you have anything to add to that observation beyond the observation itself? <laughs> Not really. No, it was a throw. It was a throwaway comment. I didn't expect. Well, it, I didn't expect you to riff, riff on it. it was... Well, it may look. It may. It may end up in one of those I mean, uh, best of the rest pods. But you know, it'll. We'll, we'll see. But I. I. I yeah. You know, if he starts wearing a leather jacket and pulling up at the training ground on a Harley, then he, he'd look the business in it. Actually, he would look yeah. good in a leather and a biker jacket. Wow, yeah, he, he could do. It. He'd look like a member of the Scorpions. Yeah, he would. Eyes. He'd look like he'd look yeah. better than the Scorpions, right? He'd look like a member of the Scorpions. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. That might be the way through it. Is give him a Harley and a leather jacket and let him just ride it out. There we are, Daniel. Get the checkbook out. Give this man what he needs, which is not which is not a ball playing, uh, tempo controlling centre midfielder or or another quality forward. Give him a Harley and a biker jacket and let him ride free through these these difficult and troubling times for any middle aged man. Yeah. <laughs> there we are. We may have solved it. And I just want to point out to any legal people out there that this is uh, all um, conjecture and satire. So take it as such. <laughs> And know that we won't be trading in our day jobs anytime soon. <laughs> I mean, I think in summary, I think that we're, what we're effectively saying, and you will correct me if I've misrepresented us as a group here, but we're effectively saying that if Antonio can take like, you know, 10 to 15 decibels out of his post-match conferences and sort of depressurize every post-match moment and I, I say that in the positive as well I thought after the Man City game the whole thing about like this is the best set of players I've worked with I thought that was sort of ludicrous as well that didn't make because they, they quite painfully aren't the he, best he was set talking about how, how nice they are how good they are to work with he wasn't talking about them in terms of quality yeah, I think in general, though, a, you know, a little more awareness of his of his you know post match uh, persona would really help the the team in the dressing room. We do have quite a young side, and I think the plot likes of Cessignon, uh will really would benefit from perhaps a little more stability. Final question: Do we have the character and characters to fight with Conte to get to to get through the end of, to the end of the season and have the success that we want? Yes, of course you do. Um, the, yeah. I think, as I said before, I think fingers crossed we've got to get the three at the back stay fit mm-hmm. for the rest of the season. I think that's quite critical because that's definitely improved our right-hand side. And the two new additions look great. Bentacore looks like he's 
he's he's he's not scared of anyone. He plays with his head up and he wants to be involved in the game. And of course, you've got Harry and Sonny. I thought Sonny today looked like he was turning the afterburners on a bit more. He's got a bit more speed mm. going. But mental toughness, well, yep, Diav, Romero, Bentacore, Skip, Hoiberg. I mean, there's got to be enough mental yeah. t- toughness in that, really, okay. to carry yeah. out what Conte wants on the field. Yeah. I think our performances are uh, better than our results at the moment. Results will follow performances over time. Yeah, I think we'll be okay. So, Antonio, we love you. Just pipe down a little bit after the game, will you, old chap? That would be marvellous. Thank you so much. On Tuesday, we travel to another exotic part of the United Kingdom, <laughs> Teesside, the home of sunshine, sand and sex. And awkward. Sorry, I must be misreading something. <laughs> on t- Vic and Bob more like it. Middlesbrough. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. We've uh, The riverside as it was, for those of us of a vintage who made it to the old Ayrson Park, uh, it's it's never a friendly place to go per se. Nice as Teesiders are, it's usually cold and miserable. I'm sure it'll be cold and miserable up there for our FA Cup fifth round tie. We're live on BBC One. For those of you in the UK, chaps, who should we play and are you confident? Milo, you go first. Um, Borough are a decent side. They're having a good season. Yeah, eighth in the championship at the moment, a couple of points off the playoff places. Yeah, they knocked out Man United in the last round and their home form this season is pretty good. I think we'd be foolish to underestimate them. I think this, you know, this is going to be a tough fixture. So I think we've got to go reasonably strong, but we've got to rotate and keep people fresh as well. Although we've got a decent break between this and Everton because Everton's on Monday night. Yeah. So we've got a, a decent run into that. So three central defenders and the goalkeeper, no choice over because there's a big drop off in quality once we get through that, you know, past those. So I'd pick all of them. Wing backs, take your pick. I, I could see those rotating. Is it a night for rip roaring Reggie? Yeah, I mean, if he's if he's over COVID, why not? I mean, Sess has played three on the trot. It's a you know really demanding position. He's covered a lot of ground, you know, particularly against Leeds. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a bad time to do that. I'd say I'd take your pick. I would say really, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's much between them really. Central midfield, who's fit? <laughs> you know, we might not have much choice there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's one to rest Sun. Give Bergwin a run out, play Kane, Bergwin and and Decky, something like that. Sorted. I think I might give I might give Decky a bit of a rest because I think he played all ninety minutes um, in that Burnley game, and he played did he he played all all the game mm. against Leeds. I think You're right. Did. It might be it might be a game for the Revmeister himself, the uh, the the PS the PS4 maestro, the uh, <laughs> the futsal genius who is uh, our very own Lucas Moore. It might be it might be a night for him, right? Because I'm just I'm just being a bit more precious with Decky now because he's starting to look like he'd be more important down the stretch than um, Mora will be. Um, but maybe Mora, maybe Bergwin plays. I don't know. Is is, is Bergwin play? Is he does he replace Sun? Bergwin yeah. can play on the right if Sun stays on the left. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. I suppose. But as you say centre midfield, we're pretty much stuck with probably the two mm-hmm. unless skips back. And um, yeah. Poor old Pierre's got to churn out a few more miles. So we always we always want him to give him a rest, and he never seems to um, get round to having one. Excellent. He looks to me like an ancient steam train just chugging through the forest. <laughs> yeah. He always looks he like he comes chugging through. Woo woo! Like bam, yeah. smashes through. Nothing's going to stop him. But you know, <laughs> unless he springs a surprise and plays either White or Divine, 
you know, both on the bench against Leeds. Possibly, yeah. Um, and, you know, White White would probably be a reasonable a reasonable replacement for Harry Winks if you wanted to give um, him a break. But I'm quite I'm quite up for. Um, I suppose this may be because the top four is a bit more iffy. But I'm quite up for giving it um, our best shot with this. I think mm-hmm. I think the quarterfinals and the semi-finals have their own weekends, mm-hmm. don't they? I think. I was quite excited today, uh, the Carabao Cup final, to see that they actually have gone back to lifting the trophy up in the stands as oh, opposed okay. to on one of those That's stupid cool. podiums. Yeah, 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 you have to walk up the steps and everything, and I could see it. I visualised I visualized Hugo lifting the FA Cup. That'll show you how oh, confident dear. I am. Are you chaps confident? Um... I don't know who's left. I don't know who's left in the FA Cup. To be well, honest, well, just confident about Middlesbrough. Let's just no. st- start with Middlesbrough, there, Ricky. Are you? Confident? Am I analysing it too much there? Aren't I? Um, yeah. Borough. We'll beat. I think we'll beat Borough. Is this um, straight straight to time mm-hmm. penalties? It must be. There's That's no right. replays, is there? This year, I, don't, I think it goes straight yeah. to penalties, doesn't it? I don't think oh, there's even any extra time. Yeah, I'm confident we'll beat Borough. Milo. Yeah, I think we'll beat them. You love a prediction. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm certainly not going to be predicting whether we win the <laughs> FA Cup or not. I mean, cups are a lottery. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you'd be you'd be a moron yeah. to start predicting that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think I think we can get past <laughs> Barrett. I just want to say I think we're going to win the FA Cup this year. <laughs> 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 oh, if the shoe fits, oh, it feels comfortable. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Yay! Steffi is a moron. Steffi is a moron. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think we can get past Barrett, but it's going to be a tough game. They're no mugs. And on Monday we come back to an. Absolutely sumptuously sexy, sensational, Spurs-tastic part of the country. Yes, we're going to be back at our very own new White Hart Lane when we entertain Frank Lampard's Everton. This will be the moment at which I shed a tear in private once again for Delhi. Okay, chaps, who should we play? I mean, we should play Everton, but uh, who should we play in our starting eleven? And are you confident? I think we've probably got about 14, 15 mm-hmm. players to choose from and we just need to keep as tight a group as possible yeah. and all them till they run out of energy or get injured. Uh, am I confident? I don't know with Everton. I still think mm-hmm. they're a bit shit, really. But when I look at their team, um, um, like I think today, was it mm-hmm. today they uh, played? Yesterday. yesterday. I can't remember. Oh, yesterday, sorry. Yeah, I think Alan Decore and Van Der Beek look quite a good central midfield Mm-hmm. selection really and that young kid I think is quite good who's the young kid on the left looks really old a bit like Skip who's that chap he's 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 a good he looks a decent player so and I think Calvert-Lewin was out injured this weekend so he's out and Richarlison's been playing I mean you think you're gonna have a tough game against them but I still think <sighs> Lampard's shit as well really isn't he so <laughs> I I think I'm confident with this we're at home the crowd are going to be behind us. We haven't been at home for ages, so let's get rip-roaring behind us. So I think Everton have been very hot and cold under Lampard so far, haven't they? Um, yeah. But I, I agree with you. I don't think they're very good. I don't think he's very good. Um, without Calvert-Lewin, they lack a focal point. I think Ricardoson is um, uh, a tricky player from wide. I'm not sure. Not so sure about him kind of leading the line. Yeah. And their squad looks really unbalanced to me. I think, you know, you're right in saying that midfield pretty decent but yeah just i think there's a lack of balance there and i don't think lampard knows what he's doing so yeah i'm i'm hopeful this game actually concerns me a little bit because as you said they are hot and cold and they do have those players that can punish you punish you you know if they're on a good day so i I mean quite rarely for me I, i i really don't know what to think about this game i mean honestly 
It has 2-2 draw written all over it, but we can't afford draws. So I have to believe we're going to win. I have to believe we won't lose three Premier League home games in a row. Um, and uh, I have to hope that I haven't just jinxed uh, that by saying that. So it, it, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a tough one. However, I, I will be um, watching the game buoyed with amusement at the thought that uh, <laughs> recently I've forgotten who it was. I think it was Newcastle fans start waving tyr- inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rexes at uh, at um. Oh, I'm spacing on his name. Jordan Pickford. Uh, Jordan Pickford. No. Did you read about this? They're reading no. little inflatable Tyrannosaurus Rexes because of his uh, nickname of Ty- Tiny Arms. And <laughs> apparently <laughs> apparently, <laughs> him and one of his friends got into I don't know if he got into it. I think he got out of the way. But there was a nightclub punch up over it as well um, because people were <laughs> jeering over his tiny arms, which I'd, I, I can't say I'd ever really heard much about. But I, I thought it was hilarious. Anyway, so I wonder if uh, any of our supporters will be bringing inflatable dinosaurs to the new White Hart Lane. If they do, we will uh, talk about it. I'm sure we'll mention it. But uh, either way, we will be back next week to discuss our games against Middlesbrough and Everton. It will be out a little later next week as the Everton game is on a Monday. Uh, You know, we normally record on a Sunday, but we're going to push it back, obviously, so as we can see the Everton game and share our thoughts with you. So we've come to the end of this one, chaps. Thanks very much indeed. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, Steph. Thank you. Um, and folks, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. So give us a follow. Say hello. If you've enjoyed this pod, please tell your pals and leave a glowing review on iTunes and Spotify. As always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.